Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, and we have news with Mac Jones. We're going to chat with Gary Washburn of The Globe in just a little bit to recap Celtics Media Day, which happened, of course, on Monday afternoon. But before that, we got to get into the Patriots situation, and in particular, the situation for Mac Jones. So, and the Patriots have a history of doing this where they'll leak something out right after a press conference. This is a little bit more so in terms of the distance in between the press conference and the information getting to Adam Schefter, but they historically do this, where they'll give you nothing in the press conference, and then you'll have somebody in the national media get the scoop from the Patriots. So Adam Schefter tonight, or I should say Monday night, tweets out, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones has what doctors diagnosed as a severe high ankle sprain. That would cause many to have surgery per sources. He's likely to miss multiple games. Jones and the Patriots are still discussing his options and the best way to proceed. Okay, so this should not be a surprise whatsoever that this is the news that we got from Adam Schefter tonight, considering Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network earlier in the day had tweeted the test confirmed a pretty severe high ankle sprain. The hope is Jones won't need surgery. Timetable is still TBD. So this is sort of what Schefter's reporting is what we got from Tom Pelissero Earlier in the day, he added that Mac Jones is getting a second opinion. So that corroborates the story that Schefter has as well. Mike Giardi from the NFL Network had tweeted earlier in the day, this means a significant tear, which was the fear. Team source just now said he'd be surprised if Jones avoids surgery, especially knowing it could speed up healing. We'll see how the team and the player decided to play this. Mac will do what it takes to get back. We know that, said source. 
So this basically sucks on every level because your young quarterback is going to lose a large portion of his developmental time this year in his second year. And the team is going to suck without Mac Jones as his quarterback because here comes Brian Hoyer. Now, this is an interesting component to this whole thing because we saw this article from Sports Illustrated resurface today as well, where at Alabama, Jalen Hurts and Tua each had a similar procedure for a high ankle sprain. So Tua and Jalen Hurts, this is from the SI article from a couple of years ago, each suffered a high ankle sprain about six weeks apart. Within four weeks, they both returned from an injury that would have normally sidelined an athlete six to eight weeks. So this is this tightrope surgery that maybe Mac's considering. You'd have to imagine, because Mac actually had a quote in the story, so you have to imagine Mac is considering this because guys that he played at the collegiate level with had this procedure. So this is where the Patriots are at right now. Mac expected to miss multiple games, and the Patriots are going to be without their second-year quarterback going forward for at least a couple of games here. We don't know the longevity of it, just the fact that you have multiple NFL insiders, Tom Pelissero, and now the biggest NFL insider, Adam Schefter, saying he's going to miss multiple games, which is unfortunate for the Patriots. So the other thing about that happened in terms of Monday was the Mac press conference. I mean, now looking back at it, what the fuck was that? (laughs) I legitimately feel bad for Mac. He's up there at the podium. He can't answer any questions. He kept saying a million times, we're taking it day by day. Okay, so apparently Max taking this whole thing day by day. I felt bad for him. Looks like he's a hostage just answering the same question over and over again. He also kept saying, I'm not here to answer any injury questions. So we waited until like, the, it was originally supposed to be at 345. Mac Jones talks to the media at around 5 o'clock on Monday, and we get nothing from it whatsoever. And then a couple of hours after his press conference, we get the update from Adam Schefter. I mean, really pointless to put that guy out there. And I get it, NFL rules and all that different type of stuff. He didn't address the media yesterday. But man, was that a waste of time for the beat reporters to go down there and have to talk to Mac Jones when you're getting nothing from him. Any updates he said you can ask Coach about. Yeah, I'm sure Bill's going to give plenty of updates. He also, this is an interesting thing. He said how confident, or I should say he was asked, how confident are you that you'll play again this season? Just taking it day by day. (laughs) That was his answer to everything at the press conference. And then he was asked, just wondering how it felt in the moment. So we're not trying to get inside information, just how did you feel in the moment? How much pain were you in? He said, awesome, thanks. I'm sure he wasn't feeling awesome when it comes to that. But man, I mean... You feel bad for Mac. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff in terms of the injuries. He had the illness, and now he's going to miss a chunk of the season at the very least, right? And we'll see if he needs surgery or not. So here's the thing that really sucks from a Patriots perspective. The schedule is about to lighten up. And I can't say any schedule that the Patriots have is super easy because they're not a great team right now, but it does lighten up. So after this game on Sunday against Green Bay, which, by the way, this is a Nance Romo game now. 425 Patriots Packers. I don't you feel bad for the national audience. They're going to have this game in the 425 window with Brian Hoyer playing quarterback for the Patriots. That's going to be very entertaining for all the people not knowing. It's going to suck for us here in New England, but it's going to suck even more for the national audience. But anyway, after that game, home for Detroit at Cleveland with no Deshaun Watson. It's a good team, but no Deshaun Watson. Home for the Bears at the Jets. Home for the Colts. Bye week. Then you have the Jets at home. So that schedule, you look at it, based on that, you should be at least around 500. Say you win five of those seven games, which is a possibility. I'm not saying it's a likelihood, but it's at least a possibility. You're sitting at six and four, maybe you're five and five, and then you're feeling like, all right, 
well, at least the Patriots are playing relevant football down the stretch of the season. But the problem is that chunk now, and we don't know exactly how many games, but that chunk that Mac is going to miss, the Patriots aren't winning really any of those games. Who are the Patriots going to beat with Brian Hoyer as their quarterback? So the problem is when Mac say he does get back at the end of the season or say he misses four or five games, whatever it is, right? I mean, IR would be at least four games. But then the schedule gets difficult at Minnesota, home for Buffalo, at Arizona, at Las Vegas, home for the Bengals, home for Miami, at Buffalo. All those games for the Patriots. Very losable with Mac Jones. And if you're already in a hole, the Patriots could find themselves in a really difficult position where they're not playing relevant games down the stretch because you aren't winning shit with Brian Hoyer as the quarterback in the absence of Mac Jones. So then you look at this thing going forward in terms of, well, what did we really learn about Mac in year two? Because we're not going to see him for at least multiple games. So far, what we learned is the offense that they're trying to run with Mac Jones, it's not working for the player, right? I mean, you look at this so far this year. Mac Jones, and this is via Next Gen, he's at 10 intended air yards per attempt. That's fourth in the NFL. Fourth in the entire NFL, Mac is pushing the ball down the field. Last year, to put that into context, he was at 8.1 intended air yards per attempt. This year, he's all the way up to 10. His aggressiveness rating, so how often he's throwing into tight windows where the closest defender is within at least one yard, that's at 19.6% this season, seventh in the NFL. Last year, that number for Mac Jones was at 15.4%. It's all the way up to this season, 196 So Mac is throwing not only down the field more, but he's throwing into tight windows. And his time to throw this season, 2.74, which is 16th at the NFL. So he's having to hold on to the ball, which is not the way you want Mac Jones to be playing. Last year was at 2.71. And then you look at the other thing, his expected completion percentage this year, which is basically next gen does this by the distance the ball is traveling, the closest defender, et cetera. It's at just 64.6%. So there's not like there's a lot of layups in the offense for Mac. Last year, that number was at 66.3. So they have not drawn up a lot of layups in the offense. And Mac is throwing the ball down the field a lot. If you look at this and you compare it to last year, no quarterback was north of 10 intended air yards per attempt last year. Mac's at 10 this year. Russell Wilson last year led the league at 9.9. The top four were Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, and Jalen Hurts. Those are all guys that can buy time, right, and can extend plays. Mac Jones is not meant to hold on to the ball this long, and Mac Jones is not supposed to be pushing down, pushing the ball down the field all the time based on his skill set. So, okay, so this different type of offense where they're throwing the ball down the field, Mac's throwing into tight windows. Well, what are the results? Well, so far, they haven't been good. Mac has five interceptions on the season. That's tied for the most in the NFL. He had 13 all of last year. So if you look at that, that's, what, 38.5% of his interception total from a season ago. He's already there. So he's turning the ball over more, which you would expect because he's throwing the ball down the field more. He's throwing into tight windows. Now, some of the decision-making has been really bad for Mac. But the point being, you're not getting the results because he's turning the ball over a lot. Okay, then you look at the passer rating. Mac Jones' passer rating through three games is 76.2. The only quarterback in the NFL that has played three games this season and has a quarterback rating, a passer rating, I should say, worse than Mac Jones is Justin Fields. Last year, by the way, Mac was at 92.5 in terms of his passer rating. It's at 76.2. So you're not getting the results from this type of offense that you're running with Mac Jones. 
And does anybody look at Mac Jones and say, yeah, this is the type of offense the Patriots should run? No, he's a precision passer. He's a quick decision maker. This offense doesn't suit Mac to begin with. They're not playing to Mac Jones's strengths whatsoever. So that's sort of the information we have through the first three games is the Patriots are running an offense that does not work for Mac Jones. So that's one big problem, and he's not thriving in that type of offense. But one thing now that we know that Mac's going to miss multiple games, according to Adam Schefter, and it appears Tom Pelissero as well, Mac's going to miss multiple games. We have to come to that reality. I just was starting to think about that game on Sunday and Lamar Jackson being by far the best player on the field, whether it's making plays with his legs, whether it's making that outstanding throw on the touchdown pass where he put it where only his receiver could catch it, the one to Mark Andrews as well. Lamar was really, really good in that game, right? And I just look at it and say, can Mac ever dominate a game like that? Now, I'm not saying do exactly what Lamar did, right? I'm not talking about Mac running for north of 100 yards in a game. He would never be able to do that. But just in terms of the overwhelming talent that Lamar Jackson has, Lamar Jackson being by far the best player on the field, can Mac Jones dominate a game that way? And I just don't see it based on the skill set, right? It's not like he has this big, massive arm like Justin Herbert. It's not like he has the ability to throw on the move like a guy like Aaron Rodgers does. Mac just doesn't have that elite skill that you see with so many of these young quarterbacks across the NFL. So it got me thinking, like, what happens if this really goes south for the Patriots? And by the time Mac comes back, they only have the one win that they banked against the Steelers. Like, look at the hypothetical worst case scenario, or maybe it's not the worst case scenario, is Mac comes back and this team is in competition for a top three to four pick in the NFL draft because they won one game with Mac against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You think they're winning anything with Brian Hoyer? I can't see that whatsoever. So I looked at the quarterbacks previous to Mac's draft year that went in the first round. So starting back in 17, Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson. The next year, it was Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, and Lamar, who, of course, we saw on Sunday. The next year in 2019, it was Kyler. It was Daniel Jones and the late Dwayne Haskins. The year after that, 2020, Joe Burrow, Tua, and Herbert. Okay, so if you look at these guys, I'm going to put them into two categories, right? There's the group where it was these guys that were really toolsy, that had super high upsides, right? Whether it's because of their athleticism, whether it's because of big arms, whether it's because of their ability to throw on the move, right? But the point being, they were different than the traditional pocket passers that we saw for so many years in the NFL. So here's the list of those guys. And I know this sounds crazy, but people thought very highly of Trubisky. Remember, he went number two in the draft. He went before Deshaun Watson. He went before Pat Mahomes because, look, and he had not a lot of experience at the collegiate level, but people were looking at him as somebody they could throw on the move, that he was athletic, right? So he was supposed to be one of these toolsy guys. Now, it didn't work out for him, but the other guys on this list, Pat Mahomes, of course, we knew about the big arm. There were questions coming out of Texas Tech, but we knew he had elite skills. Same thing could be said about Deshaun Watson. Sam Darnold was in that category. Remember, Darnold was incredible in that game against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Following year, turned the ball over a lot, but people were salivating over his potential as somebody that could throw it on the run. You had Josh Allen, who was like the ultimate freak, six foot five, massive, huge arm, right? There were questions about Josh Allen, but you knew all the tools could be there if you could just get him right. Lamar Jackson, we knew the running ability was like nothing really we've ever seen since Michael Vick in the NFL. You had Kyler Murray, who was an elite athlete as well. Yes, small, diminutive in stature, but he was a guy that had 
unbelievable talent coming out of the collegiate level. And then Justin Herbert, right, where Justin Herbert just had one of the best arms we've ever seen entering the NFL draft. So those are the guys that I would put in the toolsy category, right? The high upside guys. So if you look at that group, Trubisky didn't hit and Darnold didn't hit. Those guys are both in Trubisky. We saw him in week two. That guy fucking blows. But Darnold has not been good either. And he's on what? His second team at the NFL, he gets beat out by Baker Mayfield. But the point being, that's six of eight. So 75% of those guys that were considered to be the super high upside guys hit. Okay, Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP. We know Allen, MVP favorite. Herbert has been really good. Kyler has had his moments. And Deshaun Watson has been really good when he's on the field. Trubisky and Darnold, bus. Okay, well, how about the other quarterbacks that I listed there, the first-round quarterbacks? Traditional pocket passers, but you didn't see the ceiling that some of these other guys had. Okay, Baker, he's on his second team. Rosen, we all know, was a bus. The late Dwayne Haskins never found his footing in the NFL. Joe Burrow, massive hit. We all know that. Went to the Super Bowl a season ago. But remember, Burrow wasn't in that category that these other guys were in terms of he doesn't have a super big arm. Now, I'm not telling you he's not a great player, but he doesn't have a super big arm. He's not an incredible athlete, but he's one of these guys out of this group that has certainly made it. Then you look at Tua, which not really a super athlete, small, diminutive in stature. He didn't really have those elite skills. And then Daniel Jones, who was a traditional pocket passer as well. So out of that group, how many really hit? Joe Burrow, for sure, unquestionably. And even if I say, let's put Tua in that category, right? If I put Tua in the same group as, now I'm not saying he's Joe Burrow, but let's say that Tua continues on the path that he's on right now. Well, that's a hit, right? Even though I'm giving him the rest of the season. But even if I include Tua, that's just two out of those six. And you compare that to the other group, six out of the eight guys with high upside, big time tools all hit. So I just look at this from a Patriots perspective going forward, and you think about Mac Jones. And look, I like Mac Jones as a player. I believe Mac Jones is a good quarterback, but I also believe with Mac Jones, he's got to be very dependent on the players around him and the coaching around him, right? And right now what we've seen as I went through some of this stuff in terms of the scheme that the Patriots are running, them trying to push the ball down the field like Mac Jones is a version of Andrew Luck when Andrew Luck was at his prime at the NFL. He's not that type of player, so they're not really helping the player schematically, right? We've alluded to the fact that the RPO game is just like non-existent with the Patriots, something that Mac was really good at the collegiate level. So he's not getting a lot of help from the scheme perspective. And then if you look at it just in terms of the skill set, right, in terms of the guys that he's playing with, you don't really have elite players around Mac Jones. So in order for Mac Jones to have success, everything sort of has to be set up around him, right? Because he's dependent on the playmakers. He's dependent on the offensive line. He's dependent on the coaching. And right now he doesn't have the playmakers and he doesn't have the scheme fit and he doesn't have the coaching in terms of the offensive side of the football. Like right now, the Dolphins are getting everything out of Tua because he's being schemed up and he's being coached up. So I just look at this situation. Let's say that the Patriots during the stretch don't win a game without Mac Jones. And you can't tell me that's a crazy idea. How could you possibly think that's a crazy idea? Look at the teams on the schedule. Like, yeah, the Lions aren't a great team, but the Patriots with Brian Hoyer, they could easily lose all these games. So that got me thinking in terms of, well, what if the Patriots creep into top five 
territory. What if the Patriots creep into top three territory? You would have to consider taking one of these guys coming out of the collegiate level that is toolsy, whether it be C.J. Stroud or whether it be Bryce Young. I mean, I know Bryce Young is a smaller quarterback. He's 5'11", but the guy's a freak of an athlete, really good throwing the ball on the run, and Stroud is the full package at Ohio State. So if the Patriots are in a position where they can grab one of those quarterbacks. I'm not saying that you take a guy at 15 or 16 if somehow the Patriots are like way better than I think they're going to be with Brian Hoyer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you get into the territory to be able to draft one of those guys, I don't know how you don't consider that if you're the Patriots. And I would because what those players need around them is less than Mac Jones. We see it in the NFL each and every week. And it was startling to watch the difference between Lamar Jackson's talent and Mac Jones's talent. And if I have the opportunity, if I suck and if I tank, and quite frankly, this may be the best thing for the Patriots if they tank and get a top two, three pick in the draft because they need blue chippers either way. And it gives you a lot of different avenues to go down. But I would be looking at a quarterback. I'm not 100% committed to Mac Jones long term. He has not been playing particularly well this year. I put a lot of that on the coaching staff, but also the players made some really boneheaded decisions. So if I have an opportunity to upgrade the quarterback position in the draft, I would not hesitate to do it. The other thing is this. Mac Jones would hypothetically have value in the NFL, right? You think about it. He had a good rookie season. And I told you, I like Mac as a player. So if a team sort of doesn't get into that area in the draft where they need a quarterback or say it's a contender that thinks, hey, we can do better with Mac Jones, there will be a market for Mac Jones. So you could actually upgrade the quarterback position and get another high draft pick for the guy that you took two years ago. And if I'm the Patriots, that is something that I'm certainly going to have to be thinking about when we get closer to the end of the season, seeing what the team's record is without Mac Jones. This may be a way to upgrade the quarterback position and reboot the roster. All right, coming up next, we're going to chat with Gary Washburn from The Globe. We'll recap everything that happened at Media Day for the Celtics and also get into, of course, the Ime Adoka situation going forward. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the Globe, it is Gary Washburn. Gary, thanks so much for taking some time, man. I know you've had a busy day. Oh, no problem. No problem. Good to be here. So based on some of the comments we heard today, it seemed like the overall theme, Gary, was that these guys feel like there's still a lot of things that are unclear. It felt like there was a lot of confusion today with the players. Is that the sense that you got? The sense, yeah, the sense I got was they haven't been told a lot. Um, they're fully aware of what happened. They're fully aware that their coach was in a consensual relationship at some point with a member of the organization. Um but what got him suspended? Why such a heavy penalty? Why this is all going down? They seem a bit confused as to why or what were the circumstances beyond the relationship that caused this. Yeah, and you wrote, Gary, on Friday after that original press conference that Brad Stevens had and, of course, Wick had as well, that according to an NBA source, Udoka had a clause in his contract that covered fraternizing with coworkers, and he was warned about potential inappropriate workplace relationships until 
The franchise was finally forced to hire a law firm to launch an investigation. The results were ghastly, and the Celtics felt they had no choice but to levy a season-long suspension. Grossback emphasized Udoka committed multiple violations. So is your understanding that there is just a lot more information to this that nobody is really privy to right now? Yes, there is. There's a lot going on. Um, There's a lot of behind-the-scenes information. You know, I think the prevailing question among people as well, why are the Celtics keeping quiet about this? Why haven't they revealed, you know, kind of, I think what we're, what we're, what we're kind of expecting here is what the, not the NBA did with this Robert Sarver case where they rolled out 18 years of things that he had said and done and all the action. So everyone got to read that report, that 40 page report. And, you know, was like, oh, wow, he did this, he did that. So it was kind of spelled out why uh, he was suspended for a year. Now he's trying to sell the team and find $10 million. In this case, this is not the league. This is the team. Okay, so that's another huge difference here. The Celtics want to avoid uh, a courthouse. They, they want to keep everything on a basketball court. They do not want to get sued here. They do not want to release information that, should, that could be, you know, jeopardize anyone's career, even Udoka's. They, they want to keep this close to the cuff. Um, and their whole thing is trust the organization. They made this decision because they had to, not because they wanted to. Not was someone had it out for them. There was some, no conspiracy here. They want to emphasize to people that they did what they felt was right. Now, it's up to everyone else to decide whether it's right. But with the limited information, it's really hard to understand why he was suspended for a year. But believe me, I believe there was a lot worse circumstances than just a consensual relationship with a coworker. So is that why you believe Wick and Brad were both so upset about the leaks that happened because of the fact that this story comes out last Wednesday and then the overwhelming reaction, Gary, from the national media and a lot of the local media as well had been sort of pro email. Like this seems like, OK, it's a year. It's a harsh It's a harsh punishment for what he was at that point. All we knew in terms of the reporting. Do you think that's why the Celtics were so upset about what it had what had happened? Well, it depends on what you think the who you think the source of the leak was. Who in you know someone texted or called Woj at about ten o'clock Eastern time with this limited information, right? Woj did not have all the details that were later released about the consensual relationship, et cetera. He just had that Udoka was uh, on the verge of being suspended many games, multiple games for a violation of team rules which just left everyone like WTF, like what's going on here? What team rule? Usually that's a player, right? Or that's a college thing, you know, uh, underage drinking or, or getting into a fight, at a fight at a frat party or something. This is an NBA coach. That's usually, so it let everyone to try to search as to what's going on. But the question is wh- what happened? Who did the leak benefit? I think the leak benefited Essentially, I don't know if it benefited the Celtics, but it definitely put out there that something was seriously wrong, right? So did someone from the organization leak it to Woj? Was it, you know, I don't think it was one of the owners, but someone in the know, did someone who leaked it have it out for Udoka? Or did someone say, listen, I'm only going to tell you the limited information, but this is right. 
obviously Woj, who's obviously, you know, stellar, amazing, felt comfortable enough to go with it to whereas it was true. So someone didn't say I heard this. Someone was like, no, no, no. Like he's literally about to, you know, he's about to feel the hammers coming down on him in the next 24 to 48 hours. So it's, it's a really tricky situation because the leak and the Celtic silence after Thursday's chaotic day where every woman in the organization is essentially being blamed for having a relationship with Ime Udoka, especially uh, development coordinator Allison Feaster. And there's a website uh, that posted her picture early in the morning was like, this is the, and, and said, this is the only woman in the Celtic organization, which is like, that, that can't be a bigger lie. She's the only woman in basketball operations, but there's women in community relations, marketing, ticket sales, uh, who separate, who, you know, who arranges all the halftime shows, who's all, there's women all around the organization. So the whole thing was messy from the, from the start. Yeah, and that's why, too, like it doesn't seem like it would behoove the Celtics to get that information out there. So what do you make of the just could Ime have been the one that wanted to get out in front of this story? And I know it's been put out there, Gary, the connection, the CAA connection with Woj and Ime. Could that be a possibility here? It, it could be. Anything could happen, you know, because obviously the investigation was about to the was the findings were coming out. So the Celtics are probably meeting. I mean, I literally talked to Brad Stevens at the garden two hours before Woj's tweet. He could not have been more calm and collected. He went to a, a an event, a local event that I saw him at where you know companies have their employees play basketball at the garden court. And he was a special guest. He's taking pictures, selfies. And this is a man who knows he's about to fire or sorry, suspend his head coach. And hell's gonna break loose. There's gonna be a national and he could not have been more calm. And he talked to me for five minutes on the record. Now, I wish I had known what was going down. I'd been like, hey, here is Ime Dokus to your head coach. And I wish I could, you know, I wish I was smart enough to, to ask that. And I knew what was going on. I wish someone should have tipped me. But I literally talked to him. So it's just curious as to like who leaked it, what benefit did it have for the Celtics. But there's kind of a thing, there's kind of a, um, how I put this, a theory that, you know, the Celtics just wanted to throw it out there and see what the reaction would be. And then the next day they would respond. Um, or it's someone, because this is an NBA team, they know Woj is the preeminent NBA reporter. If I have any news and I want 5 million followers to see it, I'm going to call him, right? So it could have been someone who was connected with the with, with the investigation. It could have someone been the Celtics organization who knew what was going to happen and who just wanted to leak it. And it could have been anybody. I don't think it was ownership or Brad Stevens, but someone in that organization uh, knew what was going on and talked too much to someone who probably might have leaked it or leaked it themselves. All right. And then the next element now, Gary, moving forward is they introduced, of course, Joe Missoula today as the interim head coach 
of the team. So what do you make of the dynamic there, right? Because Missoula was on the second row last year, and you had guys like Damon Stoudemire on the staff, Ben Sullivan on the staff. And I know that Missoula obviously highly thought of, and he interviewed for the Jazz job, and he's really the only holdover, right, from the Brad Stevens regime. So how do you think that dynamic works where he takes over and you had those guys that were right next to Ime and Will Hardy last year and Damon Stoudemire and Ben Sullivan? Well, that's an interesting question. Was, you know, like Sullivan just recently coached a summer league team. He's probably a little bit behind in terms of like preparation for being an NBA head coach in Missoula. And Stevens and Missoula have a good relationship from obviously being on Stevens' staff. Um, Missoula, you know, coached summer team, team a couple of years ago. And I just think there's more of a comfort there. Um, and then obviously, obviously, if Will Hardy had still been there, if he hadn't taken Utah job, this went down, I'm sure it probably would have been Will Hardy who got uh, the interim job, right? Because, you know, Hardy now is in Utah. Missoula interviewed for the same job. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a – but there was no slam dunk decision. There was no – because Hardy was kind of the hot assistant behind yeah. Udoka, and then there was like Missoula, and Sullivan was a little bit behind that. And Stoudemire, obviously coaching at the University of Pacific, as college has coaching experience, obviously all, former all-star, a great player, but probably, you know, is just still trying to get his feet wet in the NBA. Is he ready for a head coaching job? Um, maybe he might have, you know, they might have considered him probably not quite ready. And then there was Aaron Miles, um, you know, the former Warriors assistant who's still there. You know, so there was choices, but I think they felt like Missoula was the most most comfortable choice. It was the smoothest transition. All right, and then some other stuff, because we almost forget about the other stuff that was going on with this team in the offseason, but the rumors with Jalen Brown and the Kevin Durant trade stuff, and this goes back years with Jalen, and it just felt like today he said it is what it is, like it's been happening for years with him. Do you think the Celtics have to worry about Jalen Brown long-term now? I think that it's going to come to a point where he obviously wants to get extended, and the, the big thing hovering over this franchise down the road, not the coaching because they got issues right now, but the future is going to be re-upping both Tatum and Brown. Okay. That's going to be, that's going to take quite a bit of money because Tatum has an option in his contract for the final year, 37 million. Now that's going to be a laughable salary in two to three years when guys are now starting to make 50 and Lillard makes 60. So as much as people were like, what he's making 37 million. That's crazy money. Oh my goodness. Like that's going to be like, whoa, that's a that's a real bargain. Now, obviously, Jason will opt out and want that five for two fifty. And what does Jalen want? Does he want two hundred? Is he going to like the whole? Th- they're going to have to probably invest up to 400 fifty million, maybe close to that. Not nearly a half a billion, but not probably that that much into Tatum and Brown to keep those guys Celtics long term. So I think the issue with Brown is the extension. Um, and, and I just think the organization likes him. He's comfortable. You know, was he a little hurt by the trade rumors? Of course, but it is for Kevin Durant. But he's got to grow up and be a big boy and understand that's the that's the business of the league. And, he, you know, Kareem got traded, Shaq got traded. Everybody's gotten traded except, you know, LeBron and Kobe, right? So, I mean, you, you, look, at, you look at the league, that's the way it is. Um, you know, so – I think he'll be okay. Uh, he seems motivated, you know, but Jalen's his own man, you know, and, and I think it's going to take some time 
some time for him to get comfortable again and, and, you know, pat on the back or whatever. And then, you know, I think it'll work out. But I think down the road, when it's up to like, when he's like, okay, now where's my money? I've been a good guy. We'll see where the Celtics answer is. Yeah. And the other big question, too, is the Robert Williams situation where we find out he's going to miss eight to 12 weeks. So apparently they thought this is just going to heal on itself. He needed to have another procedure. And you felt bad for him today at Media Day when he's talking about how it wore on him mentally. But if you look at this going forward, Gary, it seems like it's every year he's dealing with some sort of issue. How concerning is this in terms of his long term, the longevity with the Celtics? Yeah, what I believe is he's just not going to be ever be an 82 game a year guy. He's turning 25 soon, so he's not a young, young guy anymore. So this is who he is. He's going to be a 60 to 65 game a year guy. You're going to need to get him a rest and a break. You know, that's just is going to be who he is. And you, and you hope that he's fully healthy and ready for the your postseason. So it's like a Joel and B. I mean, Joel obviously missed the first couple of seasons. And then he now he's like a 60 to 70 game guy. Like that's what you hope out of MB. Embiid ain't playing 82. Robert Williams is not going to play 82. It's just not going to happen. His body will not allow. But I think they feel like we treat him right in terms of give him all the time to rest, all the time to heal and, and get those legs strong because he's had a lot of lower extremity injuries. He should be fine to go for 60 games in the regular season and then a playoff run. You know, give him a rest here and there. I think they're going to have to monitor this for the rest of his time in Boston. I don't think this is, oh, I'm just going to shake this off. Like, he's been hurt with like, hip edemas. He just had constant injuries that are not major, but major enough to keep him out 10, 12 games here. So I think eventually, but he'll never be, I don't think, you know, one of those guys going to lead the league in games played. Yeah, that's for sure. And so Al Horford today said that he's prepared to play back-to-backs. They have Luke Cornett, of course, not a ton of NBA experience with him. And I know, you know, they can play Granite the five when they want to. But do you think they'll add another big or do you think they're comfortable going into the season with this group? Yeah, I think you'll add somebody. Um, but the thing, the, the, the thing about the market is, you know, I think a lot of teams are just saying, OK, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, Let's see how the guys we invite in look. Let's see a lot of teams are brought in, you know, the, the maximum 20 guys for camp, going to let guys fight it out. And then, you know, let's see how our talent pool is. And if we don't like the guys that we have in, then we can bring, you can bring a veteran in who will be kind of, you know, ready to go, you know, keep staying in shape, that type of thing. And, and, and just as opposed to, you know, bringing them in right now where you don't know if it's going to work out. So I do think that they're searching for, um, you know, a big, I definitely know they're searching for a third center, you know, because I don't know if you can trust Luke Cornett, you know, in, in big time minutes and obviously Robert being out probably now for like till the first of the year, you know, I think that, I think that's a very conservative, it's eight to 12 weeks and that's 12 weeks is the first of the year pretty much right now. And they're going to bring him back slow. They're not going to rush him back. So they do need a bid. Now, they'll look at available free agents, maybe a guy who's cut or waived on a roster now, you know, who gets surprisingly waived or cut, who's got some talent. Like, I think the Celtics have their eyes open, but they don't need to do something right right now. 
And then the other thing, too, is Jay Crowder unhappy in Phoenix or Phoenix is unhappy with Jay Crowder. And he's at some point going to get traded. I know that salary cap it is over 10 million. So the Celtics would have to send something out. But do you think they'll be poking around in this Jay Crowder situation? They'll look into it. I think the guy that they could move is Gallinari, if that's possible. But I don't know that they have to wait till December 15th. That might have to be the case. I don't know the ruling on that. But, you know, his salary fits. Um, yeah, they'd have to figure out, get creative because they don't have like a natural guy who's making, you know, eight, seven, eight, ten million, nine, ten, something that would match in a, in a sense where they could just make a natural deal. They'd have to throw some guys together. You know, they, you know, we, you know they'd have to throw in Grant Williams and like, they, they, I don't think they want to do all that. But I think he would be a nice guy to have. He loved playing in Boston. He was a very popular player here in Boston. So, yeah, I mean, obviously his three-point shot is not what it used to be, but he's still a tough guy, a defender. Yeah, I said, he's one of those guys who loved playing in Boston. He liked putting on that green. Um, So I think it'd be a nice natural fit. They just got to work out what Phoenix wants. You know, is Phoenix asking for a first-round pick? Or that you know, and then you got to make the salaries match. And if you look at the sell something salaries, they don't have that like eight, nine, ten million dollar guy that you know you're gonna send. Derek White makes 17 million. Um, you know, Luke Cornett, I'm sorry, Luke Cornett, Gallinari is probably the best candidate, but I don't think they can move him now. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. And Gary, I know you're going to be busy going forward with the Eme story. And I mean, it seems like it's something every year on this beat. I remember when you were at the bubble, right, when they had the whole situation where Marcus Smart was throwing stuff around and they had to have a meeting into the wee hours of the night, right? Yeah, it's only a couple of years ago. But yeah, I was there for that. Yeah, (laughs) Unbelievable. That's Gary Washburn of the Globe. Gary, thanks so much for taking the time, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff chatting with Gary Washburn from the Globe about the Celtics and the media day. And we hit on Robert Williams there. So this is interesting to me, this whole Robert Williams situation, which it feels like, unfortunately, this is just another obstacle that he's going to have to overcome where he had to get the surgery. And the problem is it really hurts the Celtics in terms of their defense, having the second surgery, being out the eight to 12 weeks. And I do really wonder about that Al Horford situation where he says he's going to play back-to-back games this season. I just wonder, man, like they did an outstanding job last year getting Al to the finish line and getting Al to the finish line relatively healthy. But if you go back and you watch those playoffs, there would be games like we saw when he dunked on Giannis after Giannis was mean mugging him. Remember, Al famously was like shaking his head and Al would have the last laugh. And quite frankly, you could argue that Al saved the season with that outstanding performance in terms of his ability to shoot from the outside in that game against Milwaukee. But there would be games where all of a sudden he didn't look like the same guy. And it was ordinarily when in the postseason, when they only had one day in between games where Al didn't have the same level of effectiveness. So my biggest thing is, okay, if you don't get the number one seed, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? Even if you don't get the number two seed, it's not the worst thing in the world. If you got the number one seed and Al Horford is gassed by the time you get to the postseason, that's my bigger concern. So as we chat with with Gary, they got to pick up a big in some sense because you just can't have much faith and a guy like Luke Cornett, who has not had much NBA experience, and he's definitely not going to be the same level of defensive player that you have with the other centers. I mean, I'm fine with having Grant play some minutes at the five, but this Robert Williams thing just sucks. I mean, you look at him last year, and remember, you go back to that series against the Warriors, he was a complete game changer, okay? 
In the postseason, the Celtics had a 103.6 defensive rating when he was on the floor and a 109.6 when he was off the floor. He completely wreaks havoc on the defensive side of the ball, and not having that guy available for a good chunk of the season here, it's going to be costly for this team, and it's just a weapon that they don't have at their disposal. I mean, he did so many good things for this team last year. He was only two players average, two blocks, two assists, and nine rebounds last season. One was Robert Williams. One was Anthony Davis. So it just kind of tells you or illustrates rather the impact that this guy has. And I'm just really concerned long-term. I love Rob as a player and he is on a really good contract. I give the Celtics a ton of credit for getting him signed to that contract. I just wonder if it feels like every season it's going to be something with this guy because it was a hip, now it's a knee, now it's a knee again. I just wonder about the long-term durability of Robert Williams because we definitely saw last year he really wasn't the same player in the postseason until you got to the Warriors series, right? Now, against the Brooklyn Nets, he came back, wasn't really himself. And there were times where he wasn't really himself in the Milwaukee series. And it took a while for him to sort of get back to the player that he was for the majority of the season. And it just feels like that may be the case with Robert Williams every year, that he's always sort of dealing with something, which is unfortunate for this team. All right, I did want to get to one more Patriots thing, though, before we go, because I'm just getting sick of this whole situation and with the Kendrick Bourne thing. And I'm at the point now, what's the point of keeping him around if this is what you're going to do, right? Because if you look at it on the season, 44 snaps, that's 23.1% of the offensive snaps this year. That's seventh among the Patriots receivers and tight ends. Seventh, okay? Little Jordan Humphreys at 83. And I understand it's not an apples-to-apples comparison because with Little Jordan Humphrey, of course, they use him in the blocking game as well. And Bill Belichick talked about this at his press conference on Monday morning that part of it with Humphrey is he can play, basically he can play like a tight end, not just a receiver. So I understand it's not just an apples-to-apples comparison, but 83 snaps for that guy, 44 snaps for Kendrick Bourne. Six receiving first downs for Kendrick Bourne this season. That's tied for the most on the team. And he's only played 44 snaps. 12.8 yards per target. That's seventh of the NFL. 16.4 yards per reception. That's 13th of the NFL. Okay, 2021, those numbers. 11.4 yards per target. Third in the NFL. 14.5 yards per reception. 21st in the NFL. So here's my thing. I've been doing this all year with this guy. Going back to the offseason, that they need to get this guy more involved. I'm almost admitting defeat. I'm at the point where I just know they're not going to play him. They're not going to continue to put Kendrick Bourne out there and give him a high snap total. If it was going to happen, it was going to be yesterday. Because Jacoby Myers was injured. He wasn't playing in that game. Yesterday was going to be that game. And obviously, on the pecking order with the Patriots, Nelson Aguilar is higher up right now than Kendrick Bourne. Now, maybe because of the fumble that... Something changes and we get to see more Kendrick Bourne, but I just don't feel like that's likely right now based on the fact that it's now three games to this. Three games, this guy is not playing a lot of snaps, and he was somebody that I had a lot of hopes with going into the season after what we saw last year. So here's the thing that I would present right now. I would just rather than play Kendrick Bourne, you know how I feel about this guy, but the Patriots don't feel the same way. Matt Patricia doesn't feel the same way. Bill Belichick doesn't feel the same way because ultimately it's Bill's team. And if he really wanted Kendrick Bourne to play, he'd be playing him. It's not just a Matt Patricia situation. It's also a Bill Belichick situation as well. So if Mac Jones is going to be out for an extended period of time, this Patriots team looks like it's going to go into the dumpster based on if Mac's out four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, whatever it is with this ankle injury. So if I'm the Patriots, well, if I'm not going to play Kendrick Bourne, I might as well get something for the player. 
right? Because there are going to be teams across the NFL that are dealing with injuries to receivers that may just say, hey, you know what? We just need additional weapons. Heck, look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. They have no receivers whatsoever in terms of, you think about it, Godwin's banged up. Mike Evans was suspended, right? Julio Jones, you really didn't get much from that guy. So that's easily a team that could be interested in a guy like Kendrick Bourne. Maybe his old team, the San Francisco 49ers, would be interested in him. You get the point, though. If they put Kendrick Bourne on the market, there would be teams that would be interested in Kendrick Bourne's services. And for the sake of the organization, right, the long-term health of the Patriots, if you're not going to play Kendrick Bourne, why don't you get something of value for the player? Because this shit can't go on much longer. Because the problem is, eventually it's going to get ugly between Kendrick Bourne and the organization. He's not just going to want to sit back, not get any playing time whatsoever. Eventually, you may just have to say, you know what? If we don't believe in the player, he wants to play more. What must be in the best interest or what is in the best interest of the Patriots is to get something in return from. I hate that we're at this point with Kendrick Bourne, but I just can't justify keeping Kendrick Bourne around much longer if they're not going to play him, especially when we know Kendrick Bourne could be an effective player and one of these teams out there that's a contender that is looking for additional weaponry for their quarterback, they would have to be interested in a guy like Kendrick Bourne. And I know Jacksonville's had a really good start to their season and Christian Kirk, everybody shit on that contract in the offseason. And look, I get it. The guy's overpaid, but he's been very productive for that Jacksonville team. Jacksonville's a team right now that is two and one. They could easily be three and oh. Would they kick the tires on a guy like Kendrick Bourne that could help out in that Jacksonville offense? I can't believe I'm saying that. The Jacksonville Jaguars look like they're actual like contenders, not to win a Super Bowl, but to get into the postseason based on their division. And the Patriots look like they're going totally in the opposite direction based on everything that has transpired with the injury to the quarterback and quite frankly the scheme that is not fitting the quarterback right now. All right, we'll be back with you in a couple of days. And as always, if you want to leave us a voicemail, react to anything that happened at Celtics Media Day or anything in terms of Mac and his injury or what they should do with Kendrick Bourne, you can. The number is 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.